The title for today's talk is Engaging with the World. And as those of you who've been here before know, it's a, the third installment, if you wish, in a series of interlocking talks, each one standing by itself, but also enriched in the context of the other two. Because of that, let me just take a moment to recap briefly what I talked about the last two days. On Friday, the talk was called Fabricating Reality. And I went over the ways in which we fabricate uh, make-believe worlds based on make-believe me and make-believe us. Such that our minds contrive this um, support for a, a sense of identity about ourselves and about the world being just the backdrop of that. And, and we create a, an individual identity that way and we create a, a collective identity as well, so that we end up having a world dividing on we on this side and them on the other side. This collective identity creation within our community, within uh, the confines of our race, even religion, group we belong to, whatever, or with the nation at large, is constantly creating splits into the world. And it's uh, manipulated by forces that benefit from such splits. Strange enough, we buy into this way of organizing the world because it does provide for us a sense of a collective identity that seems to be able to shore up our individual kind of shaky one. The result of these constructions, as I mentioned on Friday, is that we end up imprisoned in them, saddled with these imaginary fears, saddled with the friends and enemies that we defined ourselves, caught in a warp of views and opinions. On Saturday, yesterday, I talked about ways of getting out of this imprisonment. 
the title of the talk was Opening to the Depth of Being. Ways of accessing a, an inner space that allows us to feel free. Where the world, instead of being compartmentalized, divided, opens up to welcome us. And, and where we release all these fabricated identities. Does this then mean that we disengage, that we are no longer acting because we are no longer prodded by the self to act. Very often it's the self, the sense of identity that drives us to engage in this or that. Not having that force behind us, do we then not care? Quite the contrary. If and when we discover that openness to the world, our engagement with the world comes from that openness, not any longer from our views and opinions, not any longer from the need to defend our Engagement, then, can become genuine, not an appendix of our own image. So, how do we engage? That's very much the exploration I invite you to do right now, and of course to continue it this afternoon in the inquiry. A helpful way of looking at our engagement in the world is to do so in the context of what we have come to know as ecology. This is a, a word that's understood. It refers to natural systems and how they evolve. In, in the physical ecology, which is what we ordinarily mean by ecology, the the people who study these systems have discovered that natural systems evolve from very shaky and weak ones to very robust ones in the course of time. In the technical language of ecology, this is called ecological succession different stages succeed each other. To, to be very concrete, you can take a, an area, you know, whatever, the woods back there, and studied for 10 years, for 20 years, for 100 years with, of course, several generations of naturalists uh, would need to do that. And, and you find that there is a, rhythm, a rhythmic, rhythmic progression because the, the weaker systems 
get displaced by the stronger ones. And finally you get to a, a stage that's called the climax. That's really robust. That's really self-sustaining. To a very large extent. <laughs> until, until we we come into it and destroy it, of course. There's no system that can resist a, a, a company cutting down the trees. And so it's worthwhile to look at what's, what characterizes this climax community, ecological community. And, and the general rule is that a community is more stable the richer it is in interactions. The more diversity of plants, animals, and microbes it has, the richer in different species and sufficient number of organisms, the more stable it is. And then occasionally you see, as it happened in, in a number of places in the world, the introduction of a species that had not adapted there, and which is in fact um, a very dominant one, a very predatory one, and can play havoc with this community that had been stabilized by itself. But this sudden influx of the, what I would call, the imperial species, in my point perhaps, wrecks havoc with the balance. And we don't have to go very far to, to consider ecological communities. No, I, I used to be, be a microbiologist. And in fact, I published a book some 30 years ago called Microbial Interactions. And um, one of the things that come from these studies is uh, the awareness that each body is sitting here. I mean, by generalizing from other bodies of humans that have been studied, it's made up of uh, 10 to the 12 cells. That's a pretty big number, right? It's a, it's a one followed by 12 zeros. However, these cells that we call us are outnumbered 10 to 1 by microbes that live inside us. Now, the microbes are, are littler, so they're not that bulky, but still, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry. But in numbers, there's 10 to the 13 of them. 
Without those microbes, we would die. In fact, you know, experiments have been done with, with other animals and with humans, who of course share this uh, being colonized by microbes. It's, it's hard to have a, a microbe-free animal because uh, at birth they pick up microbes from their mothers. But it's possible to play some tricks and avoid that. And, uh, and these animals die in a couple of years. They cannot survive, cannot live. So even our own existence is predicated on a rich variety of interactions with different microbes, not just the same, the same every part, there are different microbes in the top of the tongue and in the bottom of the tongue, just to give one example. So I used to know all these things very well, even writing books. But I have to say that my knowledge was just uh, cerebral. And uh, it never translated in a shift in attitude towards my family or towards the community. Uh, that, that's uh, one of the problems with science, you know. Scientists position themselves, as I did, in a detached place. And so, by becoming the observers of them, sort of uh, standing above, quote-unquote, what they are looking at, they do not benefit truly from what they learn. Just as there is a physical ecology, there is also ecology of mind. Mind is even more so dependent on a richness of interactions. We, we quite understandably yearn for that. Yearn to live in communities where there's a lot of interplay. And of course that seems to be diminishing in, in the world that we live in today, and unfortunately, some interplay is, uh, takes place through, through cyberspace, but it's, it's uh, not a very vigorous one. It's there, but it's not very vigorous. As we delegate our interactions to the computer, we may gain some, but we certainly lose an awful lot. The interplay that has to be attended to is not just among different people, but it's also within ourselves. Our mind is rich in all other ecological components. Our mind, of course, is not uh, all inside. It's just uh, pretty open when we discover that. I really love this um, 
very well-known poem by Thich Nhat Hanh that you may have heard, but I am going to repeat, which is called, Please Call Me By My True Names. And he says in a book called Being Peace, After a long meditation, I wrote this poem. In it, there are three people, the 12-year-old girl, the pirate, and me. Can we look at each other and recognize ourselves in each other? The title of the poem is Please Call Me By My True Names because I have so many names. When I hear one of these names, I have to say, yes. So here's the poem. Do not say that I'll depart tomorrow because even today I still arrive. Look deeply. I arrive in every second to be a bud on a spring, spring branch, to be a tiny bird with wings still fragile, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, in order to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that are alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river, and I am the bird which, when spring comes, arrives in time to eat the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond and I am also the grass snake who, approaching in silence, feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I'm the arms merchant selling deadly, de deadly weapons to Uganda. I'm the 12-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by the sea pirate. And I'm the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I'm a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands. And I'm the man who has to pay his debt of blood to all, to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring so warm, it makes flowers bloom in all the walks of life. My pain is like a river of tears, so full it fills up the four oceans. 
please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughs at once. So I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. So we do get, do we not, in touch with both the parrot and the little girl. We actually can experience them. Why? Because we, they are in ourselves. It's not an external thing that touches us. It's a recognition of that multiplicity that we are. It's only when we open up to the inner and the outer turmoil that the lines of the poem actually ring true. Please, call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open the door of compassion. Ty, that's a nickname for Tignatham, the author of that poem, also coined the word that you may have heard before, interbeing to remind us that to full, fully be, we need to enter in relationship. A very ecological thing indeed. I with you, I with all, I with me, I with me, don't forget that. In fact, I can't resist reading another poem by Hi. It's about interbeing. It says, The sun has entered me. The sun has entered me together with the cloud and the river. I myself entered the river. And I have entered the sun with the cloud and the river. There has been not a moment when I do not interpenetrate. But before the sun entered me, the sun was in me. Also the cloud and the river. Before I entered the river, I was already in it. There has been no moment when we have not interbeened. Therefore, you know that as long as you continue to breathe, 
I continue to be in you. I referred to the same thing yesterday when I quoted uh, Archbishop Tutu who said in an interview, as I said, that in his part of the world, South Africa, they use the word Ubuntu to mean that to be a person you need another person. In other words, he's saying the same, exactly the same thing as Tignahan. To be, you need to interbe. Can we understand this interbeing, this Ubuntu from the marrow of our bones? Not just uh, he has a thought, but from the marrow of our bones. In other words, can we be in this world with a heart? Because we don't need to do anything to interbe, just be open. That's all. And open to others and open to the richness of ourselves. Not forget that. In other words, to, to practice compassion thoroughly, seriously. Let me read this from Ramdas. The quieter our minds get, the more we seem to open our hearts in ever-expanding circles to embrace all beings with love. When heart is very open, we see all beings as our beloved family. Now, as we love more people, their suffering hurts our hearts all the more because the worst pain for our heart is to witness the suffer of those whom we love. But at that same moment, the quieter our minds, the deeper the spacious awareness that spawns, spawns our faith and thus our equanimity. It's, it's a natural process may not always work, but it's a natural process. Both sides of the balance have been intensified. We find ourselves able to bear what previously was unbearable. We are able to keep our hearts open in hell. From this point of balance, we recognize that the hurt that our human heart feels in the presence of others' suffering is part of the perfection. And the yearning of the heart to do something about the suffering is also right. It is part of a larger web of network of, or, or network of compassion. But we find often, to our considerable surprise, that acting to alleviate the suffering of others need not upset our equanimity. 
It need not force us into a position of judging, of judgment of the universe or God. We find ourselves acting in the domain of good and evil on the side of the angels. Yep. Yet our awareness rests in the one. So we find ourselves more strongly drawn, drawn into service as acts of celebration. An act we perform with delight and equanimity. Such action heals our heart. It does not lead to fatigue or burnout. Where do we begin this amazing journey to our center point of balance? We begin right where we are. Right here. Right now. So, indeed, compassion is that which can inform our journey into action. So, what about action? What about actual action? How do we face the political dilemmas and opportunities or necessities to act both at the voting booth by participating in a march or for some very sadly in the battlefield. What do we do? Our old habits were to act subservient to ideology, in reality to a system of self-identification, so that we immediately react sort of defensively if somebody says something that we don't, doesn't fit, and are ready to sort of battle our ideology to others. And, and then, when that doesn't work, or, or brings the inevitable suffering to us, we with, tend to withdraw. But that's certainly not the message. The message from Dignit Han, the message from Ramdas, the message from this talk. The message that kind of seems to emanate organically from this group, so far as I can tell, is that what we need to do is by interbeing to respond to a deeper sense of what needs to be done. A deeper sense it doesn't come just out of 
this body-mind right here. But, but receives the influences of this collective mind, this ecological mind that we all share in, which is in this the context of this retreat is particularly exercised during the inquiry. Now, besides, you know, those intimations there, there's the need to be informed. And of course, that's um, not easy nowadays when the press seems to have gone uh, pretty one-sided. You know, I grew up in a, under a dictatorship uh, in Argentina, and of course, the only press was the government press. So it's, it's not an unmanageable situation. We just didn't believe a thing we read in the papers, period. You know? <laughs> we had underground papers, which are tricky things to handle. In fact, my father was the editor of one. He, he risked his life doing that. Um, but also we gossiped. We, we talked. We passed on rumors, not always reliable, of course. For, for me, the, nowadays, the most forgive me, this is purely commercial now. My, my beloved source of information is a program run by Amy Goodman. The program is called Democracy Now. Yeah, let me just uh, give you the details. You can find out about it in the web by going to www.democracynow.org and there you may find also how to get the program live from her. She's on Pacifica Radio. She's on some public access TV stations. But she's also on both dish networks. She's on, on um, the so-called dish network. That's the name of it. Uh, and the channel is called Free Speech TV, FSTV. And it's number 9 four, one, five. I think it can have another number in other areas. But for us, it's 9415. It's just at the very end of the spectrum. And they give it for free, you know. Just, uh, we, we subscribe to the minimum, and we got it, and we discovered it. It's also on Direct TV. That's the system. And the channel is called Link TV. And the number is 375. And so, they have an, at least a, a, a balance to what you can get in other channels. So I recommend, but I'm sure there are many other sources, of course, in the web, an enormous number of sources. And also you can access the foreign press, which is much more balanced than the American press nowadays. But actually, I'm now talking about factual information, which is what very much what uh, Amy Goodman and the other uh, 
channels um, offer. But there's, there's something beyond that. Information is not just facts. It's how you put them together. It's um, how, how information sort of uh, matures in you. How it can inform us, shape our attitude in a way. And, and that's valuable. Not to cling to that shape, not to cling to that, not to cling to anything, to just hear to the information and say, this seems to be right, this I don't believe, this I trust, this I don't trust. But not to insist, I'm right, you're full of, you know what. So, and it's important to, to receive the information and the informing process, uh, imbuing process that follows from that in a wholesome way. So at times I have sat right after Amy Goodman, for instance, just, just to sit and see what the mind does with all that's been received. Sometimes things that are very painful to hear, very worrying to hear. And um, it's been a very sobering experience because no matter how purified I think my mind is, you know, this is more an illusion than anything else. It's, uh, the mind still goes and exercises its preferences. I can see, you know, sitting after getting this Democracy Now! program and sorting out the things I want to remember and uh, highlighting this and pushing back that. Mm. It's okay because I see it, but that's why I think it's useful to, at least occasionally, to sit right after the news. Just, just to be a witness to the reaction and what one does and one, how one tries to, at least I, not speaking for you, how I, with all my awareness, which is there, still try to shape things in a way that's uh, preferred. But of course, by noticing that, I can become free of that compulsion. So, how can how can we then be with all the stuff that we receive, information, the knowing of the suffering? But being open to the suffering of others, being open to to hear about things that are painful. How do we sit with that? And of course, there's no one way of doing it. But, but one one thing that uh, I find very inspiring was an ad that came up in the New York Times. The first day of the Republican Convention. 
a whole page ad with just two words. Did you see it? Don't know whether you can read it. It says, imagine peace. That's all. Imagine peace. It, it touched me. It touched Raquel. In fact, she mentioned it to me. It's, um, this is the work of an artist, uh, Yoko Ono Lennon. That's it. That's her name, New York City, 2004. Imagine, please. As we are touched by that, as we are touched by compassion, as we are touched by our understanding of the world, we, we need to create this space so that these things that we receive can tell us what to do. Because if, if you were dreaming that I was going to tell you what to do, forget it. You know. I don't know very well what to do myself. You know. I'm, I'm somehow, but unlike in my youth where I, I, milit I was militant and I was engaged in anti-dictatorship actions and stuff, at this stage of life, and of course we are at different stages, but at this stage for me, the important thing is just to be open to receive and, and, and see what calls me. Respond to the calling. And then act organically from that calling. You see, the, the, the less we are run by the I and by individual or collective I, the less problem there is with just being open and see what speak to us. Because we have fin finally, hopefully, so silence the voices of the I, which is the one that was always screaming, telling us, you must do this, you must do that, or else you are no good. If you don't go to that demonstration, you are no good. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from acting. I'm just saying, listen to the voice that you need to listen to, which is informed by information, by feeling the suffering, and responding to it. Let me just share with you a little bit what I'm inspired to to become active in at this moment. And it's, um, it's just a, a, a vague notion and I have to sh talk it over with many and so I'm, I'm beginning to talking, discuss it with, with you now. I have thought that the, the format of, 
of interaction that we have the privilege to exercise in retreats like this is one that could be extended to other groups in other areas. So, I have concretely thought of doing a retreat and concretely in Garrison, which has a huge space and who is uh, interested in this project, doing a retreat which includes many different groups, spiritual groups of different traditions, yes. More importantly, ecologically engaged groups, politically engaged groups, and I'm not saying all having the same political opinion. It, it'd be lovely to find, and I'm sure it's findable, a group of, of uh, young Republicans, for instance, who, who really are just as uh, puzzled as we are about how to run the world. They come up with one solution, which I call the imperial solution, but, you know, sometimes it feels okay, for some may feel okay. Or, or not, or may, maybe I'm totally wrong about that. So, can we listen to each other? Not pontify to each other, but can we listen to each other across the boundaries of the familiar? So, the, that's what I'm trying to do, and if you know of what I really need is contacts with uh, grassroots groups, um, particularly which are roughly in this area, New York City, New Jersey perhaps, and so commuting distance from Garrison really, that's all. And slowly, without any hurry, seeing whether we can start a dialogue. So, in closing and paraphrasing Yoko Ono, let us realizing peace within ourselves, imagine that peace spreading in the world in ever-expanding circles. So that we can weave a web of interactions unhurriedly, with deliberation, step by step, until that becomes unstoppable. Somehow, somehow Jesus did it, didn't he?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.